0: Hi, this is Dave Foreman, and uh, welcome to uh, another version of Whatever This Is. Uh, My main claim to fame, other than this podcast, of course, is that I'm married to D.T. Mann. I talk, she writes. She writes romance, adventure novels, that kind of thing. What I'd like to do in this segment of Whatever is to talk to you about her first book. Oh yes, and also the two sequels that followed it. The first book is called Legend and the Photographer, and it's the beginning of her writing career. The legend is Stephen Legend, and the photographer is Ricky Reagan. So Stephen Legend and Derek Beamer are friends, as well as partners in many successful businesses. They're very wealthy, determined, and of course, because Debbie has written about them, they're alpha males. They get what they want, and no one says no to them, especially to Stephen, who goes in to close the deals. When they decide to remodel one such business, Emerald Lake Lodge, they attempt to hire Ricky Reagan to use her photographic skills in creating their promotional material. They both get more than they bargained for with Ricky and her best friend Abby, who encourages her to take the job uh, and promises to help her with it. That way Ricky can see Stephen and Abby can see Derek. So this was part of a deeper plan, as you can see. Ricky, who by her own choosing has never had a relationship, falls in love for the first time. She also learns that Stephen has a darker side, which Abby finds out about. Ricky loves Stephen and trusts him and his love for her, but Abby does not. Her overprotectiveness of Ricky and her judgmental attitude towards Stephen threatens to drive a wedge between them, destroying their friendship. Stephen, whose background includes a dominant lifestyle, explains to Ricky that he will love and respect her completely. He will, however, be in charge and make all the important decisions, some consulting her, uh, some not. He will protect her with his life and love her just as fiercely. In short, he makes the rules. There's much to learn and deal with for both couples. Neither of them intended to fall in love, but they discover deep, intense feelings toward one another, completely puzzling them both. Here's a segment from the story. This is an exciting one. It's um, a situation where Ricky decides she's going to go for a walk to clear her head. Well, I'll let you hear what happens next. She walked for what seemed like forever, and then came across what she thought was the peaceful garden. It looked different at night, or, she should say, early morning. She sat for a while on one of the benches, but didn't feel peaceful. A number of thoughts ran through her head. She ruined Stephen's plans for last night. Was she being a user, like Abby implied? Did they both hate her now? She was sobbing. Is that what Stephen had figured out? This was crazy. Maybe she should go back to the room, pack, and go home. She finally stood up and started walking. She couldn't stop crying. She was so tired of crying. What had come over her? She would be so much better off to go back on her own and close her heart again to everyone. She realized that while she cried, she wandered off the path and had no idea where she wandered to. She started to talk to herself. Great, I don't know where the hell I am. She was still crying, and it was still dark. She couldn't have just gone home. Why had she come out here? Now she couldn't find her way back. If Stephen had been angry at her last night, and then found out today he had to waste his time looking for her, who knows what he would do. She tried to pay attention, but was frightened. The more frightened she became, the more she cried and the more desperate she became. Could that be what was in her relationship with Stephen as well? Desperation. While she had been walking, she heard owls and the howls of an occasional animal or two. She heard all kinds of noises, and she didn't like what she was hearing. This hadn't been such a great idea after all. Plus, it didn't clear her head. She was worse. She was now making deals with God like desperate people do. Please, just get me back safe and I'll do whatever. The ground was wet from the dew because the morning had broken. She guessed when morning light came, she would see just where she was and it would be easier to find her way back. Just as she thought she'd soon be able to see, her runner slipped on a rock. She screamed as she rolled down an embankment. She screamed Stephen's name. Then all she saw was blackness. That was a segment from D.T. Mann's first book, Legend and the Photographer. Two books follow that. Book two, Legend Continues, in which a dark shadow from the past threatens their very lives and the lives of their closest friends and family. And the wrap-up, Legend Complete, the conclusion of the trilogy. Just before we get into our next little segment, I uh, wanted to uh, tell you, next, uh, next podcast we're going to have a special guest. Rock and Ray Michaels from this uh, the local area here, Burlington, Hamilton, Toronto, and uh, he's going to be our guest for about a half hour on the show. So uh, make sure you tune in to that. We'll be on here uh, in about a week's time, and look forward to seeing you then. Here's a little piece from my days as an ad man called the briefing session. The client was a sharply dressed graphic artist. I would have known he was a graphic artist regardless of the setting because they all have one arm slightly longer than the other from carrying those huge portfolios around. The creative director called me in and suggested that I bring three coffees with me. In those days, ad agency writers attended to the coffee. Uh, That was me at that time. Asking the receptionist to get coffee was against some sort of human rights legislation or maybe a city urban renewal bylaw or something like that. I once made the mistake of asking our receptionist to get coffee, and she not too politely asked me if I had a piano tied to my leg. A few months later, carefully balancing three coffees, I entered the boardroom. As we sipped from our mugs, each bearing a different media logo, the client got right to the point. "'Ever heard of the Neptune Society?' he asked. I jumped in, eager to show my broad general knowledge." Sure, I said, the Neptune Society, that's when you uh, cross the equator for the first time on a cruise ship. Everybody gets drunk and dresses up strangely. And the creative director placed his hand firmly on the table in front of me and favored me with a withering stare. And he turned to the client with a, you see what I'm up against look. Why don't you give us an overview, he soothed. When members of the Neptune Society die, our potential client explained patiently, They are cremated, and their ashes are scattered, with appropriate ceremony, on the Pacific Ocean. Oh, that Neptune Society, I said, and drew withering stare number two from my boss. Okay, that brings me to rule number one. Briefing sessions are places where writers listen, not places where writers talk. The client went on to explain that his customer was the owner of a local funeral home, and was contemplating the same sort of uh, society in our area. Geez, we're a long way from the Pacific, I offered. Mind you, there's always Lake Winnipeg. They both looked at me piteously. Uh, rule two is reread, rule number one. The client then said, We plan to scatter the ashes from a plane over the prairies. I choked, and only with the greatest difficulty managed to avoid spewing coffee out of my nose. The potential client slammed his briefcase shut, rose from his chair, turning to the creative director, said, I'll call you. Then he stormed out. "'That guy wasn't serious, was he?' I asked, after echoing of the slamming boardroom door had died down. "'Ah, yes, he was,' said my boss. "'And we just gave him several reasons to take his business elsewhere.' "'You're kind of new here, so I'd just like to give you a couple of tips about the way we operate.' I gave him my best look of humility mixed with contriteness. "'In this agency,' he went on, "'the writer sits in the briefing session and listens attentively.' Then he respectfully asked questions for clarification, making sure that they aren't stupid questions. His voice became harsher and a lot louder. The writer's job is not to drive potential clients from the bloody building. He placed his hand on my shoulder and spoke softly, menacingly. Try very hard to remember this. I don't want to have to say it again. Then he got up and stormed out, slamming the door behind him. As I sat alone in the boardroom, I opined that the morning so far had not gone all that well. There was an upside, though. I had learned something. Went back to my desk and decided to check out the condition of my resume, just in case. Rule 3. If you don't follow Rules 1 and 2, keep an updated resume. My guest today is Jane Michael, Conservative Party candidate for Burlington in the next federal election, which right now is scheduled for October 21st. Jane, thanks
1: for coming in. Thank you, Dave, for inviting me.
0: The biggest question I have for you is, I've always heard the expression, when when you uh, want something done, ask a busy person. You're one of the most busy people I know, and now you're going into federal politics.
1: I think I got the bug, and now <laughs> now i it's got me, so... It all started a long time ago when uh, my four children were all in school, and I wanted to make sure that the teachers knew I was paying attention to their education. So I volunteered. I became the pizza mom, and I think that lasted probably for about 13 years, all in all. There was a, a gap in my children. And I went there faithfully every week. My husband picked up all, at the time we were allowed pop and chips and cookies, that's changed, but he picked all that up to save costs, and we picked the pizza up at the corner, a very local, not a chain, a pizza, so we kept our costs down, and that was our, our largest fundraiser for the school, so it was great, and that's what I thought it was, being the pizza mom. Well, I did that for many years, as I said, and then the principal came up to me one day, I always laughed because she always said, I'll call you later about this or that. And she did. In those calls, I shouldn't have answered. She said to me, Jane, why don't you run for trustee? And I said, school trustee, tell me about it. I didn't know about a trustee, as most people don't. And you can tell that from the ballots where the trustee is positioned on the ballot. So I thought about it. I looked into it. I researched it. And I threw my hat in the ring and I ran for trustee. And I did that the way I do everything, with everything I've got. The mayor at the time said to me, Who's was Rick Goldring, and he said, Jane, it's embarrassing when you have more signs out than I do. Slow (laughs) down. And I said, well, this is very important to me, this school trustee position. So I won my position. And that was a four-year term. The first year was a learning curve, and then I became more involved. I ran again for re-election, and immediately thereafter I ran for chair of the board, and that's an internal vote, and I was chair two successive years, and I just loved what I did, and I think that I gave back more. I wasn't really giving back in my own mind when I was just doing pizza, so I wanted to give back to the community that allowed me to raise four children there, so eight years later talking we always talk about current events and politics in my house and my youngest child is my son and he said to me mom how am I ever going to get what you and my dad have and we have a very middle class existence and I love my life but I thought about it and I thought how is he going to get what we have how is he going to be able to buy a house the cost of living is out of control So that's where it all started. A little bit of anger, a little bit of, I can't believe this is happening. And my kids are hardworking kids. They're all employed with good jobs. But the prospect of them buying a house in Burlington and raising a family in my community looked very dismal and, and dire. And that made me angry and sad. After talking to another daughter of mine, I found out that. She and her age group, which is 30 year olds, were all getting money for down payments from their parents. Not one of them had saved a down payment. And with the new mortgage rules, they had to come up with a lot more than the 5% of years ago. So I did some more research and I got in touch with the powers that be and I submitted my application. To become the next MP in Burlington, and that's where we sit today. I was it was a mandatory appearance to be put in at the Halifax convention, so I'd never been to a convention, a a uh, excuse me, a Conservative convention, and it was unbelievable. It was awesome.
0: I'm two things that I think are neglected in our society. I'm a senior. Boy, am I ever a senior, and I'm um, also uh, uh, have been for many years until I retired a small business owner, and uh, it, it, I, I'd just like to get your thoughts on uh, on what needs to be done. I've heard a lot of things over the years about uh, about the small business owner and how important they are, but uh, there seems to be a lot of lip service and not much happening. Agree moment,
1: so. I agree with you. I agree. My husband and I have been small business owners,
0: so you understand owners. for yes, sure, yeah,
1: very much. So, and perhaps to make matters worse, if you can say it that way, we're in the restaurant business. So the restaurant and construction are the most regulated industries in the whole country, regulated and regulated, like we're tax collectors, we're this, we're that, and it's hard. It's hard. But I think whether you're a senior, whether you're a veteran, whether you're middle class, I think we're all in the same boat. And I hear the message every day, the cost of living, the cost of living, the taxes. And I think we just have to get back to making life affordable for all of us, affordable. And we need to support small businesses, not make it harder for them. We need to create more jobs. And as small business owners, we're not employing hundreds of people, but we're responsible and we feel responsible for the 20 people we employ and their families. And we want to make sure they're doing okay. So it should trickle all down from the top, but it doesn't seem to be. But we need to stop wasting because we are paying, all of us are paying. For someone else's mistakes, and we know who that is—the trips on taxpayers' money, I don't know—and the kerfuffle that was created in in India, and the just the travesty of justice that's happening in China, and the way it's being dealt with—that's why. That's why I'm running all of the reasons above because I think that we need to act responsibly. And most importantly, we need to treat each other with respect. Like, it's turning into, already, the the campaign hasn't begun full swing, and the mudslinging, I think we were called fear-mongering, I don't know what it was about. I really don't know what it was about, but it's the mudslinging is becoming really prevalent already.
0: I'm glad we're taking the high road with this interview, because I, I really... Hate that kind of. Thing. No, there's no,
1: nothing to be accomplished uh, with that, except uh, people just get emotional and upset. I believe. Well, there are there there are statistics now to
0: prove that that thinking positively and acting positively will have a good effect on on your finances, on your health, on all kinds of things. You know. So
1: well, the past couple of days, I've been calling people, as I said, and I've had three individuals in the last two days say to me. Thank you very much for your call. And one was a, uh, a liberal, and he told me so right from the beginning. And he said, but I want to tell you how much I've enjoyed this and that you are the only candidate that has ever phoned me in my life. And I got that three times. And right. I thought, wow. And I've had people say, are you a, are you a robot or are you a real person? Oh, yeah, right. And then because I the say, oh, robot. I'm a real person. And she goes, okay, great. I'm going to hang up now. The takeaway I had from Halifax, number one, was the number of youth involved. And I was I was just awestruck, like seeing these kids that ranged from 14 years old, you can become a card-carrying conservative. And these kids were 14 years old and they were acting in whatever capacity they were given, whether it was greeter or um, I'll take you here, I'll take you there. Fantastic! And these, you see, all these young people, and like when I say young now, I mean thirty, thirty-year-olds running around, running everything, and they're doing an awesome job. And I think it's time we had new blood.
0: Oh, it's that's really a hopeful sign because the uh, because the uh, turnouts have been haven't
1: very, they been awful? Pretty desperate. It's either one extreme, I think, or the other. It's like the youth are coming up coming up and doing a great job and getting involved, or people just go, yeah, truly, yeah. I'm not interested, yeah. or I'm not. We have numbers or houses on our list that say do not, no. Like, they will not vote. Or you get people at the door go, I'm not voting. I'm mad. Try and get the millennials. To... I'm mad.
0: Okay. Uh, and, and there are people that have uh, that have lost faith in, in what the yes. uh, what the government is doing and what what they're capable of doing because it, it's been a lot of uh, suddenly nothing happened.
1: And that's and, why I want to connect with the Burlington families like I don't want to simply regurgitate uh talking points from the party. I could do that. I could memorize them and go enough. to the doors or pick up the phone and regurgitate them, but I want to hear the pain points of each family in Burlington and that's how I think we can fix the systematic problems in the federal policies. And that's how I think that I can make a difference. I think that before every vote that's taken in parliament, I can ask myself, is this initiative going to help Burlingtonians succeed? Is this initiative going to help? And if it doesn't, then I'm not going to vote for it. Because it has to help Burlington has been passed over and passed over, and I've seen statistics. And we need somebody needs to stand up and make Burlington's voice heard. And I want to be that person. I think we better just uh, mark that down and, uh, yes. and cast it in stone. If, could everyone please sign right here, that <laughs> yeah, would for right. me today. Yeah. A lot of people depend on these programs, and there's so much waste. The Trans Mountain Pipeline. It looks like it was purchased at the highest end. And we still can't get it built.
0: I'm a senior, um, so I, I have to ask you uh, how you feel about CPP and OAS, the way it's
1: handled. Well, I... Uh, personally, I, I, my view is you should give us a lot more money. But <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, well, under the past CPP system, Canadians paid 9.9% tax on earnings between 3500 and $54,700. So, they paid 9.9% tax. Trudeau's changes saw the average family see increases in their premiums for CPP up to $2,200. That's ludicrous.
0: And okay. once again, it's a hit on the small business owner because the owner of the company pays, pays double what the employees of course. do.
1: Yeah. Which irks me too, but... for the same coverage. So, our leader said and I quote, taking money away from hardworking Canadians means that middle-class families have less money to pay for a down payment on their first home. It means that young families have less money for child care. It means grandparents must step in and do child care. We can't pay and continue to pay for someone else's mistakes. Our leader in the campaign will have more to say about this in the future. But I'm not for making changes that result in less money in the pockets of families. I don't care where in Canada you live, but especially Burlington is where my heart is. And we can't have less money. We need to have more money in our pockets. And that's why I think Andrew is our best chance at a quality of life that we all can agree on.
0: Can I can I ask you to come back again and and talk about some of the, some of these other issues? Absolutely, on, I right? would love to. Yeah, I'd like to, you know, hear where everything is going and uh, how your campaign is progressing.
1: I would love to do that. That'd be fantastic because it is progressing. Beautiful. Yes.
0: Well, thanks very much for coming with us. Our guest today has has been uh, Jane Michael. She's a progressive conservative. I guess it's just the Conservative, conservative Party. Conservative
1: Party of Canada. Old die progressive hard. Progressive <laughs> Conservatives, Ontario.
0: Okay. Okay. I'll never get that so wrong it's, again.
1: It's CPC for federal and PCPO for provincial.
0: And Jane Michael, the Conservative Party candidate for Burlington, will be back to tell us how things are going, and we'll be keeping in touch with her as we roll on toward the October 21st date for the big federal election coming up this year. Well, we're just about through for this edition of Whatever, um, and what I'd like to do is just give you a little teaser of what's coming up next week with the and uh, Ray Michaels interview. Here's and Ray himself just saying hi thank you good morning dave and good morning world yes it's the podcast of the century now (laughs) okay that's it for this time around i want to thank you for being with me this is dave foreman and i'll be back with another edition of whatever in a week or so and look for you then you'll find us all over the podcast network meantime please check out amazon for my wife's trilogy of her first three novels her name's dt man she writes romance adventure stories and her first three novels are Legend of the Photographer, The Legend Continues, and The Legend Complete. Three novels, all the stories of Stephen Legend and Ricky Reagan, a photographer, and their friends, relatives, and so on. It's a very, very interesting trilogy. I really think you'll like it. So check it out on Amazon. It's available in paperback or in ebook format. Bye for now. See you next time. On whatever.